I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Hey, 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 welcome. I'm here with Mary Lyons and super excited to have her here. We actually got connected. I don't even remember how we got connected before, but we've been talking quite a bit and I'm just so impressed with this woman and what she does with marketing and what she does to have a very strong brand in the industry and be one of the top women, like known as one of the top women advisors really um, in I don't know, like, I'm going to say, you know, in the World Wide Web, in the universe, and in, in, in the multiverse, I don't know. I like but, it. Uh, I'll take all of that. You know, and you can quote that from Robin Crane with no resources whatsoever, but just, just the vibe, <laughs> just the vibe. Um, but we want to talk about how, you know, really Mary's carved her own path and used marketing to double her revenue in the last couple of years and um, really get into how she did that. So tell, I, I know you've been in USA Today as one of the, the number one or one of the most innovative, adv- I, I keep like I think Number two, I think somebody else. I keep like improving your your bio for you, like um, (laughs) innovative advisors in 2022, Um, and also she's uh, written for Wall Street Journal, uh, Forbes, uh, as over a thousand clients. So she's got a lot juggling around. Um, But yeah, a lot of lot of good things going on. So okay, back to you, and you can tell tell them the real stuff that I didn't. Hopefully, I didn't mess it up too much. Yeah, no, I think that's great. So I've been in kind of the top 10 advisors with my broker dealer for over a decade at this point. And it's been a really interesting journey for me. Um, I broke into that space, I guess, when I was uh, 29 years old. And it took me two years to go from literally failing out of the industry and not meeting minimum requirements to breaking into the top 10 with our broker dealer. And then from that point, my practice has continued to grow. And in the past couple of years, we've started doing some things differently. And it has almost overnight doubled uh, our client load and our our revenue. And so I'm really excited to be here and share some of those things with you and with your audience, because uh, the more people out there doing it right, the better. And I think in this business, being a woman is actually a huge advantage because we can get away with saying things that men can't say to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? What do you get away with? I don't know. I mean, calling people to the carpet. I I actually, I remember very, very early on in my career, I was having a really bad week and um, lots of no's and lots of people giving you the, oh, honey, because when you're in your 20s and you look like I did, you look even younger and you're trying to tell older men about what they should do with their money and they don't always take you seriously. And I remember that um, I had gotten an introduction to a gentleman who owned um, a tech company here in Dallas, which is where I live. And he had been written up in DCEO as like the number one CEO in Dallas. So getting in front of him to me was a really big deal. And I was sitting in his office and trying to explain to him what I was doing and how I could help him. And he basically told me he had a degree in finance and there wasn't anything that I didn't know. And this is how money actually worked. And 
I'm going to be honest with you, Robin, I lost my temper, which I am not <laughs> proud of. Um, but we were in his conference room and I got up and I erased his whiteboard, right? I have no idea what was on there to this day. Hopefully it wasn't <laughs> like a plan to save the universe. Oh, but God. I said, that's, that's not right. Let me tell you how it is, right? And I'm, I'm diagramming everything and I'm saying this is how it is and whatever. Uh-huh. And at the end of it, I turn around and I, I have this moment where I'm like, oh my God, what? what did I just do? Like, is he still there? <laughs> he was still there. And he was just kind of looking at me and he said, you know, the fact that you have the courage to call me out on all of that, I'm interested. Let's keep wow. having a conversation. And he's a client to this day. So why are you, but you said, I'm not proud of, why are you not proud of that? Cause that's like, that seems I mean, like, I, very I'm, I'm proud that I spoke my mind. I think I could have done that differently and had the same effect. I mean, I, I, I just, you know, yelling at a potential client is not generally <laughs> going to. It's like I'm taking notes here. Okay, so first you degrade them, then you yeah, and then you right. erase anything important on a whiteboard because that's right. where all yeah. the dreams they happen. Don't, they don't know what they're talking. You don't know about. what you're talking about. Yeah. I had so I was 29 when I became a financial advisor. So, so you know, obviously same time and and different life because I was a singer songwriter before that, but. I had a, a horrible experience where I remember telling a woman when I was leaving because um, she she had six kids and, you know, she, her husband was an engineer. He never met with us, but I'd been there probably three times and spent six hours of maybe, you know, with with driving probably 10. And yeah. I was very passionate about helping her. And she was like, no, thank you. You know, I'm just going to. And one of my big things was like, put money for yourself, not just for your kids, because they're putting a lot of money towards their kids, but then they didn't have anything saved for retirement. Right. And I left and I'm at the door. And as we're leaving, I looked at her and I said, you're screwing your kids. I actually said, you're screwing your kids to a human being. I said, you're screwing your kids. And unlike your happy ending, it was like, goodbye. I mean, she didn't say F you, but like, I'm sure I like went into the car and cried because I was like, oh my God, why did I say that's the worst thing I can ever say? But it was like, I was scared that she was screwing her kids. And like, instead of not saying it, I spoke my truth, which was a little too true. Um, and I would also not recommend that. Yeah, there's a different way to say the same thing, right? <laughs> it's it's. I, but I think that's one of the things that is really hard about this business, if we're being honest, is that sometimes we care more about our client's success than they do. And it, it may be because yes. we know more about what the risks are than they realize, or because we focus on it every day and we get to hear all the horror stories. Um, and, and I think that can be frankly, emotionally exhausting when you are constantly, I don't know. I mean, can I say trying to save the world and not everybody wants to be saved. And yeah. so it, it can be hard, I think. I thought you were going to like drop some F-bombs, but you just said save the world. Yes, you are allowed to say save the world on my podcast. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Awesome, awesome. So um, tell me how you did it. So I I mean, I kind of want to take one step back because we talked about a couple of ways you've been doing it recently, but Mm -hmm. even going from failing to the top 10, like I have my stories where I was failing at 29, but I kind of, I kind of kept doing it. Um, but I got to like a hundred grand, but that was in the industry. Like that's, I didn't, I didn't really kill it in the industry. And then I ended up leaving the industry as you know, and started to teach. And and that's when I like had my big wins, but from failing to going to the top 10, first of all, how long did that take? And then what did you do differently back then? That was two years. It took two years. So yeah, yeah, it took two to two and a half years, I think was the actual timeframe. Um, because I got into the business at 26 and I broke into the top 10 at 29. 
And it it took me that first year of really failing to realize I needed to do something very, very differently. And there's there's actually something that I think about still all the time. um, And it has popped into my head three or four times today. And it's the idea that you have to let go of your attachment to who you are in order to evolve into the person that you're supposed to become. And I think that's very hard for most of us because even if we're not happy with who we are, um, it's comfortable and we're used to it. And so making those big changes in the way you think and the way you behave and the way you do things um, can be very difficult. So there were a couple of things that I did during that time period. Um, I, I had this sort of uh, watershed moment when I was sitting in my office and one of the other advisors in my office who was very successful and was in the top 10 nationwide came into my office and um, he looked me dead in the eye and he said, I don't know what you do all day if you're in here playing solitaire or what. And I'm like closing my computer thinking, can he see it (laughs) reflecting in the glass? And he said, but the reason that you're not successful, the only reason that you're not successful is because you're lazy. And then he walked out of my office and I was like, oh, 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 like speechless. Right. And I got up and I closed my door and I burst into tears and um, I waited till he left the office that day because I didn't want him to think he had really hurt me that badly. Uh, And I didn't come back to the office the next day. I called in sick. And um, I had this whole pity party for myself of this is how people see you. And but then I thought he wouldn't have said that if there wasn't like a spark of potential in there, if he didn't see something that I should be taken advantage of. And um, and so I got off my butt and I walked back into the office and I walked into his office and I said, will you help me? Um, and I got to tell you, I was like terrified of this man. I mean, you know, some some financial advisors walk around the office with like a golf club in their hand and they like putt across the office. He had a baseball bat. So like, oh, he was a very big, scary man. <laughs> And, um, and, and he said, yeah, I'll do it. But the moment, the moment you don't uphold your end of the bargain, I'm done working with you. Like, I'm not going to waste my time if you aren't going to take this seriously. And what he did is he actually gave me the structure. I think it's like an old Northwestern mutual activity log where you have to get 25 points in a week and you get points for, you know, booking an appointment, getting a referral, you know, taking an application, closing a deal, what, whatever, you know. And, um, and I built my spreadsheet and he told me if you finish a week and you don't have 25 points, we're done. Like Mm. done. And every day he would ask me how many points I got the day before. And if it was less than five, he would rip me a new one. Right. And so I'll be honest with you. Like I was so desperate for success that I was willing to have, uh, and you know, I look at it now and I'm like, that's emotionally abusive, but it was very effective. It was very effective. (laughs) It was what I needed at the time. Um, and that changed things. And then the other thing I did is I actually created a barrier to entry for clients. So I gave them um, a purchase that they had to make um, of a book that they had to read. And I would not meet with them until they had read the book. And I made it a goal to sell 30 books in a month. And that was the beginning of the change of the trajectory. Because when people are like, okay, I'm ready to meet, they'd say, uh, you know, but I haven't read the book yet. And I'd say, well, I'm not going to meet with you. And it set a completely different expectation because if people were going to start the relationship by not following my advice, I was just going to continue in the relationship anyways. And so it gave me an easy way 
to say, well, when you've read the book, call me back and we'll work together. And that, for whatever reason, created more excitement about what I was doing. But um, I built a process because I had not been using Can I just ask you? This was yep. amazing. So when you said you you made a point to sell 30 books, so how many of those people actually would read the book? Like what percentage would actually do it? You'd actually be shocked. I think about 24 people out of the 30 read the book. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. How long was that book? Five pages, uh, but they read it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the book was, I think, over 100 pages, but the part uh -huh. that was most important to me was the first 45. And I told them if they read the first 45, I'd meet with them because a lot of that was about mindset around money and then a basic introduction to a concept that I taught. Um, was it your book? So, but it wasn't your book. Not my book. No, oh, wow. uh -huh. I, I have a book that I'm writing right now, which should come out next year, um, in part because I that book, the way it's written creates more questions sometimes than it does answers, but it was perfect for the timing. And, um, and that, that made a huge difference for me because it changed the dynamics. And then the other thing I did in my process is I introduced something that proved to the people I was talking to that I knew something they didn't know immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I did it as a game when we would sit there talking, I would make them play a game with me and then I would pull up the answer on my computer so that they could see it. And it, and it basically, uh, was a concept that taught the difference between compound and amortizing interest mm -hmm. that, um, most people focus on rate when they should be paying attention to the flow of money. So if you look at a five-year time period, if you were earning 4% compounding on your money, you will earn more interest than you pay a bank, even if they're charging you 6% on a loan. And so when you ask people, if you're earning four on your money and the bank is earning six, who earns more money? They're always going to say the bank. Mm -hmm. But then when I could show them materially that it was actually them that would be earning more money, it was really easy to then say, if you're, if you're, if your gut told you an answer that was wrong with your finances here, where else are you making mistakes that could be costing you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars? And they would be like, well, I don't know. And I'd be like, that's cool. Cause I do. And then, and then that would start the conversation and it just, it changed things. Like wow. I, I turned it into a game of like, I'm walking into your office, you're sizing me up and seeing a girl in her twenties. Right. And I say, girl, not woman, because that's what they were seeing. And when I left their office, they saw a businesswoman who knew more about finances than they did. And that that aha moment where I could see it switch was like the biggest victory. And because I turned it into a game, it wasn't so scary anymore. And how did you turn it into a game? You were just like, can we play a game? No, I was like, well, how many of these can I do? And, you know, the other thing that, that that gentleman said to me is that he said, you know, if you only have one or two meetings in a week or even in a day, if they don't go well, your whole day is ruined. But if you have eight meetings in a day and one doesn't go well, you're not going to care because you have seven more chances, yeah. right? And and that sort of volume really changed things for me. And, wow. and it was hard to get to that because you look at your warm network and you're like, well, how am I going to book that many meetings? And so I just developed a system of this is what I do when I have coffee for somebody. And I would leave every coffee meeting with at least five introductions. And I would make sure I was giving at least two to the person that I was talking to. So how, and it, how did you do that? How did you do um, that? Networking, right? I mean, I huh. think that uh, in any given coffee meeting, if I'm sitting down with somebody, uh, I'm going to spend the first 30 minutes asking about them. 
And I want to know everything about them, not just their career and what they do, but I want to know, you know, kind of their whole life story, who's important to them, what gets them out of bed in the morning, what motivates them, how their life would be different if money was no object, you know, what their career trajectory is, how they got there, where they want to go, that kind of stuff. And anything that came up that I could provide a beneficial contact for, I would make an introduction. Right. Just off the bat, like I spent the entire time listening to the story, thinking to myself, how can I help this person, even if it has nothing to do with what I do for a living? And I would tell them at the beginning, my goal is going to be to make at least two beneficial introductions to you by the time we finish this coffee. And when you do that, every time you sit down with people, anybody will take a meeting with you. They don't care what your title is. Mm -hmm. And I can remember even being in a situation where I was waiting in a, a line at a bar for a happy hour. And I started talking to the person in front of me and she clearly did not want to talk to me. Like (laughs) I was not interested at all. Right. I say I'm a financial advisor. It's like the the X comes up, like, oh, get away from me. You have cooties. And, um, and so I just was like, okay, whatever. And I'm standing there and one of her friends comes up and is like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you're standing here by Mary. She made an introduction that led to a client that produced an extra $60,000 of revenue for me this year. She knows everybody like you need to spend time with her. She will change your life. That person turned back around and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to meet you. And I'm like, wow, "Wow, that's so transparent. But when you live your life trying to give to other people, that's what you get known for. And so I would say that during that time period, at least half of the meetings I I was taking were people that were not meeting with me because I said, hey, I want to come tell you what I do for a living and how it will help you. It was just, hey, I want to get to know you. And if I can help you grow either personally or professionally, let's see where the conversation takes us. And you know, I got to the point where at least 50% of those meetings were asking if they could be clients just because who, who else is doing that? You sit down and I'm immediately creating this extra space and revenue and leaning in and I think people realize you don't get that everywhere. And when you find it, you hold on to it. Wow. That's, that's definitely a gift. I mean, it sounds like for sure you had some opportunities, but you also took them. Like I, I, I want to just like hash out some of that stuff because that's just amazing. Like first you have someone who gets you to tears and you decide instead of letting that person, um, pave the path for you to quit the industry or go and do something else or go get a job or even cower over and just like you said, feel sorry for yourself. Oh, you I, did, I did think about all those things. Right. And you did it for a, a full day. And then you're yeah. like, okay, I'm done now. And most people yeah. would, would, would not do that. And then not only did you forgive him, if you would call it that, but then you ask him to be your mentor. And like, It's just to be able to do that, to put your tail between your legs and just say, Hey, like, I actually have a lot to learn from you. And, and to admit that to yourself, even that, like, I I am wasting time. I am being lazy. Like he's actually right. Like that's the hardest thing is like, I remember once Trevor said to me, um, my husband, he said, and and, in like a fight, maybe in the last six months, it wasn't that long ago. And he's like, I think this is going to be crazy, but he's like, I think the common theme here is that you're not happy. And Hmm. It's that I was so mad because I have this, you know, I I was like getting frustrated with him because he doesn't come to dinner and I'm doing all this stuff and thinking I do it all. I do it all. I do it all. And, you know, running this pattern, he's running his patterns, not that he's always right. Or I'm, I'm, I'm always wrong or vice versa, but like that just like was like a gut punch in the stomach. 
And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to work on me and get help. And not like I'm, you know, like I'm going <laughs> to go, you know, turn myself in. But like I, I did, like I hired a coach and I'm like, I need to work on, you know, my anxiety and I'm, I'm like how I'm treating people. And like, that's not me to act how, like that. How amazingly brave of you to acknowledge all of that. Which is hard, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like, that's what success is. And I, I do feel like you said, you know, in the first, when you started talking to these people with the first 40, 45 pages, most of it was mindset. And you're like, you must read this before we come in. And that's, that's my whole feeling about business is like your whole personal growth is like going to predict your business growth. And so anytime I'm not treating people well, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my, like this anxiety mode or whatever it is, stress mode, all this stuff. Like I realize that is what's causing my business to not be, you know, to not, not skyrocket as fast as I want or not to be where I want it to be. So recognizing that, yeah, and I'm, I'm not, I'm no saint. And for sure, I made a mistake last night, even like just with sure, kind of an accusation, but like I am recognizing it faster than trying to change it. And I think that's going to be the difference between like why you're so successful, even at 26, 29, you know, and then why you're so su successful now is that you're constantly growing yourself. And well, I think, I think anytime, good. oh, that's great. There's my, I don't know if you can hear my doorbell ringing. I'm working okay. in my home office today. So I think, I think anytime ego shows up, um, we're in a bad place. And, and the reason is because what the ego really is trying to do is protect, protect our core self in, in its space of comfort. And so if, if I notice that I'm having a big reaction to something, that is an indicator to me that my ego is there, right? And that, that, that could be a really positive reaction. Like I'm elated about something because someone tells me I'm amazing. That's because my ego just got validated, mm -hmm. right? Or if I'm like really angry about something or really devastated about something, when I get really honest, it's because my ego is disappointed, right? Or, or someone has said something to me that, um, like hurts me, but it hurts me because it's attacking like an insecurity that I already have, right. Or a core belief that I already have. And so when we start, when we have those big extreme emotions, if we begin to look at them and say, this big extreme emotion is an indicator that my ego is present, what exactly is happening here? And we can be honest with ourselves. Then it becomes a lot easier to actually deal with and address whatever it is that's holding us back. I love it. I love it. And I also want to just reference what you said too about, so this, basically this new process that you really created and, and it's not that they didn't tell you to do that because I actually make fun of that process. And I'll yeah. tell you what I mean by that. It's like, yeah. I always call it, uh, I do in one of my challenges, I talk about like, like, you know, it's like, what is that, that game? It's three truths and a lie. Right. Uh -huh. yeah. And so I turn around and say three lies and a truth, because I tell uh, my clients, I said, you should write a book. Like you're writing a book. And if you're considering writing a book, you can go interview people. And that's a great way to start having conversations and open mm -hmm. the door. Right. And so they're so scared of saying like, I'm considering writing a book. I'm like, why not? Every, you know, everyone who ends up being successful, not everyone, many people write, write a yeah. book. It's not that yeah. hard, especially if 
you write a, a short book. Um, and, uh, and then what their, their broker dealers or their companies are telling them to say, I want to get to know you. And that's one of the things I tell them it's a lie because you're not there to get to know them. You're there to try to get clients, try to get referrals, like try, try to convert them into a client. And so, and there's other things they say, Oh, I want, I want to hear more about your business. Like, so these are the actual lies that I think people are telling people, but the difference is you weren't lying. And then you fall through with it. You're like, I actually do want to get to know you. And I'm actually, my intention here is to actually help you and give you two beneficial referrals. And then there's the law of reciprocity with which totally exists. So they're going to want to help you as well. And like that, you were honest about what I wanted. Right. So, so what I would actually do at the beginning is set an agenda. And I think this is something a lot of us don't do. Mm -hmm. And what I would say in the agenda is I want to spend 30 minutes getting to know you. And at the end of that 30 minutes, I'd like to make at least two introductions that will have a positive impact on your life. After that, I would like to tell you what I do for a living. And if you find that there are ways that you can help me become more successful, I would love to know what those things are, right? And so I have said at the very beginning, I'm not here to make a friend, right? I'm here because I want to do something for you. And if you feel like I've done something that's really valuable, I would love for you to do something back for me. That's transparency. And I think um, there's there's a good book. Um, it's written by Joe Navarro, and I think it's called Be Exceptional. Um, and he talks about negotiation. And in his case, he was in the FBI. And so he's not negotiating with people that are excited about what he's doing. Like he's talking to people trying to get confessions while he's going to send somebody to jail. Mm-hmm. And um, what he said was when he was really transparent, like, here's my motive. Here's how this is going to go down. This is what it is that the other side actually would trust him. And because they trusted him, they would give him information they wouldn't have given anybody else. And so when you are honest about what your motives are and what outcomes you want, it's amazing how often people will give those things to you. But if you are not honest about it or you don't have clarity about it, you're going to have a really hard time. And I remember that from early networking. And my dad said to me, are you trying to make a friend or a client? And he, and I kind of looked at him and he said, cause if you don't know, they don't either. Mm. And it, it just was like, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I am here for business. Men, men don't shy away from that. And we shouldn't either. Yeah. I, I actually got a WhatsApp message from one of my clients today. And she said, I need help with really creating boundaries because I'm, I'm working all the time because she doesn't have a family. And so she's like, I just work as much as I possibly can. And then it's sacrificing her health and all this. And she said, and I'm doing a lot of dinners with family, friends and friends, because I'm trying to get them as clients, but they're like, Oh, let's just go, you know, let's go grab dinner and or grab lunch or something. And so I left this like 10 minute message and a lot about that, like, but just like, Hey, you're not there for social hour. And if you want to go hang out with them, like, and at a different time, great. But like, it's very confusing to be at dinner and then start talking about business, especially if you're going to talk about the things that like are really going to get them to the emotions, you know? And I, right. I told her a story about how I was working. I met with these people back, I don't know, probably seven, eight years ago in a restaurant and these two, uh, this couple, and I started asking them these deep questions. And like the, the woman is telling me about how, like they're on the brink of divorce and how, how horrible it is. And he's sitting there like with his arms crossed, like pissed off. And then, you know, the, the waitress comes by, would you like more coffee? And I'm like, you're not now, not now. Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> so awkward, you know? And I was like, okay, this, this should never happen again. I mean, she's like crying now at the right. table. And it was great. They were so open, not so great. And and they didn't become a client, you know, and that has happened where I met it at at lunch and did get a client, but oftentimes like, like, I don't ever do that stuff anymore because it's just Mm -hmm. confusing. Like if there's bread coming out when you're about to pass the wrong time. 
The no, waiter always shows up at the wrong time. <laughs> of course. It's like when always. people ask you something and you have your mouth full. So, yeah. um, okay. So, and I, can I actually say something about of course. your friends real quick? Yes. Um, one of the things that I did very, very early on, and I think it's the reason that I still have friends, is that I set a very clear boundary with them. And I said, if I call you and it is about business, I will never sneak it in on the back end because I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm like, how are the kids? And in your head, you're going, oh my God, she's going to ask me for money, but I, I got to wait 15 minutes until she brings it up. Like that is so uncomfortable. And so I just made my friends a promise. If I ever call you about business, I'm going to start the conversation. Hey, this is Mary. I'm calling about business is now a good time. And you can always say no right? Where you might be in the mood to have a social call with me. If you don't want to talk business, you can be like, now's not a good time for business. And I will mm -hmm. respect that. And because I put that out there and I made it okay and I made it comfortable and I always adhere to that, my friends don't dodge my phone calls, right? Because if they pick it up and I'm like, hey, I have a business question, they can be like, nope, and hang up the phone and they know I'm going to be just fine about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Because hitting up friends and family, that's a whole other conversation. Like how the heck do you do that? <laughs> I, I kind of just go for the referrals, but that's that's a whole yeah. conversation. So I want to um, talk about what you actually told me before we started recording, like what got you to, and I know we only have, let's say 10 minutes, but um, what got you to double in the last year or so? Um, because uh, really how, cause now you're at the, you know, seven figure plus whatever level, you know, you're not at the, you're not 29. And even though you still look 29, you're not 29 anymore. Um, it's a, it's but, a good filter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great filter. Um, I'm using baby filter right now. No. Um, so, so yeah, tell us how, like now at a different level, when you have mm -hmm. a team, you have, you know, a very big business, a thousand clients is absolutely ridiculous. And obviously you're not servicing all of them yourself, but what did you do differently to now double and, and be able to sustain that at such a high level? Yeah. Um, so, so structurally, yeah. that's one question. Marketing, totally different. So I'm going to start with marketing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on the marketing side of things, I think there's a couple of things happening right now. Um, I think there are a lot of advisors out there who are on TikTok or on, you know, whatever social media platform and a lot of people that are not licensed on those platforms. And I think people are confused. Um, I also think that when you look at the industry as a whole, there are a lot of people, you know, kind of popping their collars saying, look how smart I am. Look what I can do. And again, that's all ego showing up. What I really changed in the past year is I started having different conversations with my clients and conversations that frequently don't have anything to do with money. Because what I have found, especially like coming out of the, the COVID years or however they will be known, the weird blip, <laughs> is that people had coping mechanisms that allowed them to feel happy or at least comfortable going into that. And when all of a sudden everything shut down, a lot of the routine things that people did that gave them a sense of validation were no longer there, right? And we see the, the kind of long-term impact of this, at least in what I do, because I do a fair amount of insurance business. Um, we see in underwriting, there's a lot more people on anti-anxiety medications and anti-depression uh, medications at this point. And people who had like 
real breakdowns during that time period. And it's because whatever they had that was keeping them in that, like, I am making it through the day space went away. And so people changed over that time period. They found new ways to either self-validate or, you know, found hobbies, or they found meaning and purpose in the space and time they had that they didn't have that before. And so what I found is coming out of this, we're trying to go back to our old normal, but but with our new selves. And so what I see a lot, and we saw this with the great resignation, you see this with some of the meme stuff going around, whether it's act your wage or the quiet quitting or any of that, is that a large portion of the American public is really unhappy and doesn't know how to find happiness or purpose. And so really being transparent about my own experience with that. I mean, I had a thriving practice. I was working four days a week, making high six-figure income. um, And I was bored out of my mind. And I loved my clients and what I was doing for them, but I didn't love how I was doing it. And so I started a company in the middle of COVID and completely changed what I was doing. But the conversations I've been having are, what's your dream life? If money is not a factor and there are no limits on your life, how is your life different? And then everything that we do from that point is using money as a tool to help you move in the direction of the life you actually want on the timeline you actually want it in. And that is very different than what the rest of our industry is doing because the rest of our industry is saying, buy this product, invest in this thing, put your money away, live on less, defer, defer, defer. And oh, by the way, when you're old and you finally can retire and you're not really well enough to enjoy all of this, we don't want you to spend the money anyways because you might run out. Like I know which conversation I'd rather have. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is all these people I'm having these conversations with say things like, you don't sound like any other financial advisor I've ever talked to. And when you ask people, how well does your financial advisor know what your dream life is? People are like, I'm sorry, what? My financial advisor just talks to me about whether I need to move out of you know large cap into you know this value fund over here. Right. And it's, They're like, I didn't even know my advisor should be asking me those questions. But if I don't know what your dream life looks like, how am I supposed to decide or help you decide where your money should go so that you can retire five years from now, or you can find an income stream that's going to produce an extra $20,000 a year because you want a bigger house than the one you live in right now. I mean, these are real practical conversations. And when they're done in the context of holistic planning, you, you can get dramatically different results for your clients. I mean, we talk about hitting the easy button. And by focusing on distribution strategies, as opposed to just rate of return, typically we see increases in retirement income, anywhere from 30 to 70% increases in income every year of retirement. That's insane, right? But it's because we're changing the distribution strategy, even if we aren't touching anything about rate of return and that, that sort of thing. And if you just get focused on optimizing income streams already, that's better. Because in some cases, we've had clients that are able to retire 10 years earlier than they anticipated, or retiring with substantially more income than they expected. And then once people have hit the easy button, we also teach a strategy that allows them to leverage some of the assets they have to go and acquire other assets that produce additional income, which they can either then reinvest to shorten their time horizon, or they can live off of so they have a better life today. And what we're finding is that our clients are building this community around all of that, where they're reinforcing and helping each other do those things. And so 
at this point, I don't feel like I even have to ask for referrals because people are going like, wow, I have an extra $150,000 a year in income at retirement. You need to talk to my friend. Like yeah. they need this too. And, wow. and what happens is then when you start getting passed around like that, it just gets easier and easier because you build a reputation for what you're doing. Wow. That's awesome. And some of this comes to like how you present on social media. I used to think social media was a ridiculous platform to get clients. I was like, I would never pick an advisor based on what someone says on social media and oh, how wrong I was because <laughs> this is what people are doing. They want to get to know you ahead of time. There's a, a concept called perceived intimacy, right? Mm. It's how we feel with our favorite celebrity. We know them, even <laughs> though if we walked up to them, they'd be like, whoa, stalker, back off. Right. If you can create a sense of perceived intimacy where the client already knows, likes you, trusts you because they've watched videos of you and they've read your posts and they've seen your family and they see what you're doing with your own finances, it is a lot easier for them to come in and ask questions. And I would say the best platforms for this, if you don't have a podcast, doing a podcast consistently is huge. And then going on other people's podcasts because you're never credible until someone else says you are right? That, that is a huge thing. And then it's not that expensive to do your own PR. If you want to get published in Forbes on a regular basis, they have a council that's like $2,500 and you can submit articles every month. Inc. I think it's like a thousand bucks. Um, Fast Company, I think has the same thing. There's, there's a lot of different platforms like this where you pay a fee once a year and then you get to submit up to five articles a month. And in some cases, you'll get published every other week in that particular publication. There's no reason that you have to pay six figures in PR fee. Wow, this is you awesome. You just have to know where to find it. And then when you get to say things like, I was in USA Today and Forbes right. and Wall Street Journal, which we did at the beginning of this, people are like, oh, they must know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's perception, right? Right there is credibility. And so finding ways to promote that type of thing on your social media will automatically elevate you above any other advisor in your community who can't say those same things. So many golden nuggets. I love this. I have to have you back because I feel like Happily. we can get into a whole other topic or similar topic that's going to just go deeper and deeper and deeper. So this is phenomenal. So tell them how to find you. I know your book's going to be out next year, but you're working on it. I just was talking to my husband about launching my next book too. And I'm like, okay, we're going to release it on my birthday next year, May 27th. So yeah, um, I was shooting for a March release date, but the editing is taking me a lot longer than I expected. It is written. It is just oh, nice. editing that's it's, killing it's me. A bitch. I'm yeah. a perfectionist. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. If you're looking for me, you can find me at The Wealth Woman, wherever you social media. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you want. And then my website is wealthwoman.com. Anyone who has the URL wealthwoman.com has got major credibility with me. So that is awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much for being here and thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.